0: Living for Purpose, Episode 2, From Arts to Community Building with Stacey Street. Welcome to the Living for Purpose podcast, a podcast about creating health and wellness and getting the life you deserve. This is for frontline fundraisers and heart-centered overachievers working for purpose in social profit organizations of all kinds. We know the work is so important and so rewarding. But I'm not gonna lie, it can be just as depleting. Here's the thing: you've got to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others on the planet. I'm your host, Andrea Bell, and I made this for you. I want to welcome Stacy Street to the podcast today. I'm so excited to talk with Stacy. Stacy is the Chief Operations Officer of RCF Connects, based in Richmond, California. And Stacey has been a great friend of mine for years, and so this is a true pleasure. I'd like to like talk just a little bit more about Stacy's background before we get into our talk. As I was saying, she's the COO at RSF Connects, and RSF Connects has equity as its core value and goal and mobilizes the power of connection to build healthy, thriving communities. Stacey is also the current president of Richmond Rotary Club and a member of Bay Area Asset Funders Network Steering Committee. She has over 25 years of development, marketing, and nonprofit management experience. And prior to RCF Connects, she was the director of capital and major gifts for Planned Parenthood Shasta Pacific. And before that, she was executive director of Berkeley East Bay Humane Society, And she has extensive experience as well in arts administration, having served as executive director for the California Symphony for over eight years. She has also been the interim executive director and director of marketing at Philharmonia Baroque Orchestra. So Stacey is truly an OG (laughs) in nonprofits, (laughs) and so I thought that she would be a wonderful, wonderful person to chat with today. So, welcome. Thank you
1: so much, Andrea. I'm honored to be here and looking forward to talking with you. And, you know, we could rightfully say all the same things about you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. You know, so I just read a, read a bio, but there's so much more to your story. And I wanted to ask you to just share a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Like, for instance, you transitioned from arts administration to community building with equity at, at its core. So, you know, that's a journey. I would love to hear more about that. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild to
1: think about the journey and how where I am now and how I ended up here. And, you know, honestly, it was, it was an iterative, evolutionary kind of journey. I, I wasn't, you know, I, I never had where I am now in my sights is where I wanted to be. I actually entered into the nonprofit world right out of college with an interest in, you know, seeing what, what I might do in the arts because I had in high school and college done a lot of managing of my choirs. And had been involved, so I thought, well, there's probably a, a job in that kind of work in the real world, and you know, I thought it might be something I do for a, a short period of time. Because I always knew that I wanted to do something where I could help people. That was volunteerism and helping people and making a difference was always part of my, my goal. But I didn't think I was going to get there through the arts because I always felt that the arts were something that, you know, was more for the privileged folks, so to speak. But I was really pleasantly surprised and captivated by the first orchestra I worked in because they had a just phenomenal education outreach program that actually went into communities that didn't have classical music and worked with them directly and inspired them with the beauty and art of creation and really met them where they were it was quite unusual i think for a lot of arts programs that were much more about making them come to you as opposed to going to them and so that really kept me engaged in arts administration and then i decided well maybe i'll maybe I'll stay in this job for a while. And I had a goal of becoming an executive director because I thought, well, that's, that's a good aspiration. You know, if I can be at the helm of an orchestra and help really make a difference with the, the work and help expand on that kind of education outreach and see if I could help touch more lives and inspire particularly young people, you know, who, especially in this day and age, really need inspiration and hope in their lives more than ever before, you know, and that, that was the path I was on. And, and I ended up becoming the executive director of a small symphony in Walnut Creek area. And it was exciting and, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I loved being able to to be part of the music making. That was really, you know, just a constant inspiration for me. And the work itself wasn't, you know, entirely where I wanted to be. You know, it's like I got there and then I thought, well, what's next? (laughs) Because, you know, ultimately... I wasn't actually part of that that old, the original, you know, thing that hooked me into the arts administration. You know, I was much more part of just running the day-to-day and and really particularly engaged in the fundraising, which was pretty disconnected from the community that we were ultimately hoping to serve. So, you know, I ended up having the opportunity at Berkeley Humane Society and and that was You know, that was another learning journey because we we were hit by a huge fire a few months into my tenure. And you know, I was having to learn everything at once, and it was pretty overwhelming. But I'm grateful to have had that experience because I might never have had that otherwise. And you know, I I wasn't sure what was happening next. And then I had an opportunity at Planned Parenthood and I am just so grateful for that opportunity and of course I'm a I'm a mom of pretty fierce, uh, independent daughter. And so it was really well-timed because she was little at the time to be able to work there and really be thinking about the future for her and all of her friends around women's health. And I think one of the things I learned most from that company was the public affairs and health educators. I I was so privileged to be able to work in the same office as both of those departments. And They were passionate and they were fearless and they were, you know, just vigilant about everything related to supporting particularly marginalized women and, you know, people of all genders, actually, and really promoting health and I just I learned so much from them about policy advocacy and how important that is and how getting engaged in politics on at least a local level is critically important to actually help achieve the change that I was always hoping to see. And, you know, I just really was jealous, actually, that they had this fire in their belly to to fight and to work so hard. And it was their cause. And it was no question. I mean, pretty much everybody (laughs) across the board. And I cared deeply about the issues, but it wasn't my thing. And I really was hoping that I would, I would find what that purpose was for myself. And I didn't actually expect it to happen at Richmond Community Foundation, honestly, because I didn't know what to expect from Richmond Community Foundation. But when I was recruited, I was really pretty captivated by just the culture and the the hope and the, you know, little engine that could kind of, you know, work that they'd been doing and how different they were from any community foundation I'd ever encountered really wasn't operating like a community foundation. And I ultimately took the job more because it was another learning opportunity for me. Sure. I'll, I'll work at a community foundation and learn more about donor advised funds. Sure. Why not? You know, that sounds like a great next chapter for me. But, you know, it ended up being just so much more. And it actually, you know, I think in the process, when I was hired, RCF was really in a evolutionary state, we had only recently become a community foundation. And I ended up to be able to you know, be successful in my job, which was chief development officer. I ended up having to really be an integral part of helping build infrastructure. And as part of that, we had to identify what our core value was and what our big why was for the work that we did. And when equity was really identified, you know, that was the aha moment for me of really recognizing that I was in the right place because the work that we do is all about connecting resources, connecting people, helping bring you know diverse groups of stakeholders together, really elevating all ideas and generating true solutions to community issues. Policy change is a key part of that, shifting systems, narratives, cultural norms. And, you know, facilitating and working with people and really helping bring people together and learning from other people who always have better ideas than I do. That's always what I've been about. So I found my place and I'm really excited and passionate about continuing the work. And I feel really privileged to be able to be part of it.
0: Yeah, that's a long um, story. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, it's it's so it's fascinating. You know, it's it's. It's uh, very cool to think about how, you know, you can have a 20 years long career and then have that aha moment when you're connecting with people in an organization that shares your values. And, you know, you were saying, When equity was really identified as the core value of RCF, that's where it really started for you. I think that's amazing. And I know that RCF Connects began to do a lot of new work at that point in time too, which included a rebranding at Richmond Community Foundation (laughs) evolving into RCF Connects. So just if you could tell a little bit about the community you work with. Sure. and, and the role of partnership and building community. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, well, our, our geographic community is primarily Contra Costa County. So even that was part of the renaming too, because we're not just in Richmond and, you know, our work connecting people, you know, West Contra Costa County and East Contra Costa County are the two parts of our county that are the most under-resourced and really figuring out how to connect the, you know, the people that are doing the good work on on all sides of the county, but also bring the whole county together around important issues. You know, in addition, you know, we sit at the the, uh, table with a lot of different types of leaders, including philanthropy. And I think that was one of the things that really resonated deeply for me as well was that we were not a traditional funder in the, you know, the way that most of the community foundations operate and how they were born. Most of the community foundations were born from donor funds. Ours was actually born from community work. We were uh, helping create a school and proving that the children at that school, given the right supports and resources, could be as successful as any other kids anywhere else. And in the process of really making that school successful, we had to work with neighborhood partners, with the local city government, with the police, with the you know, community leaders and with philanthropy. And in that process, we learned, this is really community foundation work. So. When we shifted to being a community foundation, in that moment, there was a, a feeling that we should try to be a typical community foundation and build funds and do what all the other folks do. When our real strength point was about just what you, you the word you used, partnership, mm-hmm. that really is our strength, is the connecting people. And it's so needed in this day and age. I think that's one thing that we had shifted to that brand about a year before COVID hit. And then in this moment in time, really how relevant it has become for everyone to be connected and how aware everyone is of the various ways we are connected and how our whole world is connected and so forth. But I think we really recognize the incredible need to being this almost a third party facilitative type organization that can really be a convener and a backbone for collective impact groups and coalitions. Because if there's really going to be long-term change, it has to happen on all the levels. You have to have stronger, better resourced organizations that are doing the good work that needs to be done within their communities and you need to have the coalitions that come together so that you can have the shared uh, knowledge and the you know coordinated goals and work that's happening and you can have the drive towards bigger systemic issues and policy change and narrative change and even just trying to change hearts and minds, you know, that's not going to happen with one organization, it's really has to happen with a, a large group. But most of those organizations don't have capacity to lead or manage a coalition, they can barely participate in the coalitions. So, you know, really seeing how if there's one thing that we need to do within philanthropy is figure out how we fund both and because that's key. Simultaneously, philanthropy is having a moment because with all of not only the pandemic but also with the racial reckoning that was happening in the world a lot of philanthropy suddenly became woke for better (laughs) lack of a better word but really having to look deeply within their own internal processes and systems and you know how they even how they select grantees down to the requirements of grantees and what they're funding and and what their requirements are. So there's been a tremendous amount of flexibility and shifting happening in this moment. But you know, my ongoing commitment, since RCF isn't a traditional funder, I feel like we have a tremendous accountability since we're at the table with these funders and we're not a traditional funder to be the one that helps drive change or. Brings that collective together to help shift some attitudes in philanthropy. And maybe we can model some small scale change within our county that could be modeled with other funding groups and other parts of our country. So, yeah, it's really important. But I believe strongly
0: in stronger together. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's it. It's powerful what has been achieved just in, you know, this five year chunk of time. And Mm -hmm. it's really inspirational, you know, and you were talking about the necessity of change, you know, the change in organizations and, you know, in ability, the partnerships and the ability to connect and how that's evolving. But you know obviously change has to happen at a personal level as well and you know i'm just curious once you had that aha moment and you know you knew that you were exactly where you needed to be and you know how did how did that evolve for you personally your personal change and what is it like to you know be a community leader who is white in a predominantly black community mm. Yeah, it's, it's,
1: that's a really good question. (laughs) It's an ongoing journey. You know, it's really interesting, because I'm thinking back to that moment right now, you know, just trying to put myself back in that place. And I think, you know, it's interesting, because there's the organizational value of equity, which I deeply believe in, and, and, you know, not from the we're checking a box for equity, which I know equity is a big buzzword right now, but really like what it means and what it stands for and really deeply understanding my own privilege and power that I have lived with and, you know, continue to have, because obviously I also, I have power on many levels, you know, positional power within our organization and just, you know, power by the basis of being, white but then i also have my own personal universal values that i stand for and you know simultaneous to this work that rcf was doing i was really fortunate to participate in a a program called the leadership for equity and opportunity which is using the the radical transformational leadership framework created by dr monica sharma was amazing, <laughs> and I totally. She has a great book. If anyone wants to read it, I would totally recommend it. Um, What's the title? Do you know, Radical Transformational That's Leadership by okay. Dr. Monica Sharma. Yeah, and in the 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 whole foundation of the work is that everything is sourced from and begins with and individuals stand in their universal human values, and figuring that out you know, that then you can source that and you can connect with other people from the basis of their uh, universal values. And you can think about projects and organizations from the standpoint of values. And it's the foundation. It's not the be all and all. It's just the foundation. I think a lot of organizations and people do that kind of values based work, but then it never goes anywhere. It has two other steps after it, which are about really thinking consciously about what has to shift. So whether it's cultural norms or systems or narratives and or isms, you know, that we need to to disrupt. And then the final step are the technical solutions. But you actually need all three happening simultaneously. And I think that work when I entered into it and it was like, we are not doing any of this right now, like that's what's missing. And the work of really figuring out what my own values were. I, I figured out that I, I knew I always had compassion as one of my values. That was what was driving me to want to help other people. But I, I also discovered that love was one of my core values, as was courage. And they're actually all connected. Monica talks about that love is in the universal sense of love, not necessarily romantic love. And compassion is about breaking open the heart of love to act on behalf of humanity and then courage is you know it's about opening your heart up is really what courage is because it comes from the word curve and I was really fortunate at that time to find my soulmate in life uh, my romantic partner so here I was discovering that love was a core value and I was actually actually feeling it and finding it and being supported by it in my own life and that allowed me to stand in my values and my courage to really be able to, you know, think about how I can shift, you know, change in my own organization and in my own life, you know, so that was really the connecting. It was all of those things happening. And, you know, I think that made me really understand accountability also, how critically important accountability is. That is one thing to say, this is what I stand for, and this is what I'm gonna do, and this is what we're doing. And it's another to actually be accountable and follow through. And I am really blessed to work with incredible people at RCF, uh, some of the the most, not just intelligent, but just passionate and wise and you know, people who've a- experienced every kind of ism there is probably but nonetheless still want to do everything they can for other people. You know, it's the opposite of victims, they're warriors. And they have exhibited tremendous trust in me. It's not their job to teach me anything. I have more power, more resources, you know, I'm white, but they have consistently demonstrated trust by being willing to help me be more accountable and be a better leader. So that's that's been the experience. Is it challenging? Is it exhausting sometimes? Yeah, of course because they, you know, I have to constantly be learning and reflecting and you know, I've stepped in it sure countless times, you know, and really learning the difference between intention and impact that you know, I think they all know I have great intentions, but I have to really own my impact that, you know, that happens sometimes. And that was all happening well before everyone in the world suddenly was paying attention to racial equity. You know, I was, we were doing a lot of that internal work, um, already at RCF. And of course, you know, just one-on-one with the people that I supervise and work with and supervise. I use lightly because I really feel like, you know, I'm more their advocate. (laughs) They, they, Mm -hmm. uh, They're the ones who are really teaching me more than anything else. So so I think, you know, it's been really interesting because I think what I have really come to in this moment is, you know, to truly stand in my values of courage, compassion and love and to really help support equity. I need to think about what it means to be a white leader and, you know, I'm recognizing I have, I've traditionally been held back by a lot of fear and I have no reason to be afraid because I have, I have so much, but that's within our society. So being able to recognize my own fears is a huge part of it because courage is acting in spite of fear, not in the absence of fear. We all have fears and then, you know, being able to learn when I can, I need to speak courageously, and really being very thoughtful and intentional about how I use my voice. And then also really learning when I need to step back, give up my power, and deeply listen. And that's my kind of phase two of what I really need to be working on right now. You know, of course, I have a lot of work that we're doing an actual tangible benchmarks that were in programs that we're supporting around health and housing and employment and education. But I think for me personally, and seeing like what's an impact that I can have, you know, some of that is how to model this for other white leaders, and particularly white women leaders, you know, I think, we, we're we a pivotal um, player, I think, in the the ability to create change because, yeah. you know, I, and several of, of people I trust have said that to me, <laughs> um, you know, that we have the understanding of what it's like to be made to feel powerless, yet, you know, we still have privileges that allow us access to resources and power that others don't have that we we can support, so...
0: Yeah, I I want to ask you, you know, for our listeners who, you know, aspire to be an ally who want to walk this path, but they're not really totally clear. What are the steps? What are some simple steps that someone can take to to walk this path? Yeah, I mean, there's a
1: lot. I think one thing is really accessing all the wealth of resources that are out there right now. You know, there's so many wonderful books and podcasts and, you know, even movies and training programs that exist that people can really um, avail themselves of without having to look too deeply. And I think some of it is also just, do you know people in your life that are that that are different from you that have a different experience that have a a different point of view a different you know different background <laughs> and is there a way that you can connect with them that you can really listen Find out what they care about and connect with them on, like I was saying before, on that basis of universal values. Because so much of our culture is about polarization. The background conversations that exist in our culture of right versus wrong, us versus them, you know, I'm not responsible. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. I mean, there are just so many entrenched, internalized background conversations. And that's another thing. Like, really, I think building time into your life to be able to reflect, you know, if you encounter a, a challenge or a hardship or something that triggers you to be able to spend some time thinking about, you know, and inquiring within yourself, what was that? (laughs) What did, and, and, oh, it was a background conversation or it was a, it's my fear speaking, you know, we all have deeply socialized fears, you know, there are some of us, it's pretty clear, you know, some people fear abandonment, some people fear they're not good enough. For me, it's about loneliness. I have a real fear about being lonely. And, you know, funnily, if you focus too much on your fear, you manifest it, it becomes reality. I've noticed that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that happens. So I think being able to, to, to have the courage to notice your fears Mm -hmm. and not, and then, you know, not do what I did for years and I'm still working on beat myself up over having fears. You know, I think that's another thing, like the, the values they teach us also are about, you know, I stand in these values for myself and all others. So, you know, being able to remember, love myself, (laughs) compassion for myself. That's Mm -hmm. a hard one. You know, that's a really tough one.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I mean, I I actually wanted to, you know, ask you about that. I mean, self-compassion, self-care, you know, it feels like it's so foundational to community building. And yeah, you know, those of us who work in the social sector, you know, we tend to put the organization's needs and others needs before our own. And, you know, often, you know, it's to our detriment, you know, and we can't, we can't do our work unless, you know, we're nourishing ourselves. And so I wanted to ask you what your routines are, how do you (laughs) stay healthy and, and grounded and just, so to support your work and you just your well-being in general. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's, that's a really good question. And it's, you know, it's definitely a, a buzzword in the, the field and the community right now, but it's really real. And, you know, and I think that's the other part of like, of being a leader and the accountability. I, I'm i really good at preaching to my my you know, team or to the people that I work with and giving them everything they need, you know, giving them flexibility and supporting them to take their time off and making sure they have the resources they need to be successful. And then frequently we'll forget to do the same. You know, the accountant says, Stacy, you have too much PTO, you better take some time off or else you're going to lose it. Um, That's happened to me too many times, partly because I accrue more quickly than I can keep up with, but but yeah i just i i need to be more vigilant honestly about that but the one thing that's been beneficial of for us i've been very very lucky i think so many of the community members that we are helping at our you know at our organization were deeply impacted by the uh, you know by the inequities of the systems during the pandemic I, on the other hand, had the benefit of blending a family and, you know, moving into a beautiful home and, you know, and having emotional support and love in a way that I haven't had before. So I, I have been really blessed and privileged and we actually all get along really well. I'll say I love being able to work from home and not have to commute. You know, the commute was definitely getting to be you know, life sucking out of soul sucking. So to be able to work from home and not have to worry so much is, has been great. I've really appreciated that. And I have my, my animals around me, my love animals. And so I try to make sure to spend time with my our cat and dog because they're, that definitely helps nurture and nourish the, the soul and the, they they give back a lot and make me remember to take time out of my day. I, I'm going to be getting back to my singing. Um, I've been studying voice, uh, privately for a long time, but, you know, I was trying to do zoom lessons for a while and my schedule was just getting too hard because I had back to back to back zoom meetings, but I'm, I'm, it's looking better on my schedule and I just, even if it's just sitting down at the piano to sing, I, I need to model, uh, uh, learn from my own daughter because she's constantly at the piano singing and playing and and I love hearing the music in our home, but I really need to, to do more of that for myself. I, I was part of a karaoke Zoom last weekend and it was hysterical so and I literally felt better physically afterwards from singing. So I, you know, I I do take walks regularly. I'm fortunate to live in an area where we have just, you know, lovely surroundings and it's very safe. So I do take lots of regular walks and that's very nourishing. And I, I love being by the water. So I appreciate that. And, you know, otherwise I just, I try to take time to just, have downtime you know play with my phone you know spend a lot of time just lying in you know in bed you know just relaxing uh you know with my husband and lots of time just with the kids you know we we just hang out a lot in the home so that's those are the main things but no rocket science
0: (laughs) I don't have a secret sauce (laughs) but you you make time to do these things. And, you know, that's crucial. You know, you're, you're connecting with family and loved ones, you know, you're, you're caring for your animals and letting them love you back. And, you know, you're getting out there in the sunshine and walking and, you know, just, you know, that's lovely. And I found myself during the pandemic, my walks have been the, absolute, like, wind beneath my wings, so to speak, <laughs> um, you know, I'm out there so often that, that I've gotten to know all of my neighbors, and, mm. you know, they, if, if I miss a walk, they're like, where were you yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty cute, pretty so I'm with you on that, so I am curious, you know, what's, what's next for you and RCF, and your personal journey, yeah well, RCF,
1: I think we we are in the process right now of figuring out the best way to deeply engage with the community that we serve and really figuring out who the who the community is that we want to say we're serving through our own organization. We know the long term envisioning for the county is we want to see a healthy thriving Contra Costa where everyone, is housed, and has jobs, and is healthy, and is well-educated, and feels safe, but that's pretty lofty, <laughs> so, and we can't do everything. We're we're pretty small and mighty, but, you know, we don't have unlimited resources, so our real work this year is really figuring out what our priorities are for where we want to put our incredible human resources, as well as our financial resources, and as part of that we really want to hear as much as we can from the the people that we're we're wanting to serve because they have the solutions not us and we really want to uplift their voices as part of this process so we you know we've done some really great work in terms of diversity of really bringing diverse perspectives and experience into both our staff and our board and our partnerships in the county are you know are very diverse but going to the next level of equity is really the feeling and the being of equity both within our organization You know, and as you said before, change really happens from the inside out. I heard a wonderful quote the other day that the the external work you do is only as good as the internal work you do. And... That means not just individually, but also organizationally. So if we really say we're a connector and we're going to help support all of our partners and that we bring valuable resources into the community, well, we better be really walking the walk ourselves first. So, so that's the other major thing that we're, we're really focusing on. And we have a equity design team, which is not led by me and our CEO. It's led by, you know, the group. And we're actually identifying people within the group who want to take the lead on the work without us being part of the decision making, because that's really, I think, key, going back to your question about. What's it like being a Mm -hmm. white leader? Mm -hmm. We also have an initiative that we've recognized that Black women and girls in Contra Costa are not being served in the same way that uh, other marginalized communities have been. And that's going to be a really interesting opportunity for us to talk about intersectionality because we already even had a conversation about how do you identify a woman or a girl? What does that mean? What about a half African American woman, or someone who's Latinx and and African American? And you know, so we have some interesting conversations coming up around that too. And I really feel that that's an opportunity to deeply lean into you know, what does equity really look like? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think we're going to finally dig into this because we've been very lucky to be able to be responsive to our community, but, you know, again, I think we're ready to go the next level and really generate more impact and a next level of equity. So yeah, that's RCF personally. I mean, it's, it's more of the learning journey that I was talking about. You know, I have, I have more, this, this. Radical Transformational Leadership Framework, it has 42 tools that if you get into the higher stages of, of being a practitioner, because it's an ongoing journey, you know, even when people have been using these tools for years, they're still called practitioner coaches, there's nobody who's just a coach or a teacher. And I really just want to continue to practice using those tools, which are applicable in your own life, as well as your work. It's not just about work. It's a framework that is is open for your own individual journey or your, you know, I've been bringing them into the rotary um, Mm -hmm. meetings because there's one that's around transformational meetings, you know, and their tools like how to make a committed request because our culture doesn't necessarily promote, promote asking for what you need. (laughs) Our culture Mm -hmm. promotes complaining about what you don't have. (laughs) So so yeah, so so I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to to dig more deeply in that, and then also not having major life changes <laughs> because last year I got married and moved into a new home, and you know we had a pandemic. It was a lot of change at once. So I'm kind of ready to just be for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: so. Yes, yes, it's amazing everything that you're doing. It's so inspiring. And I'm just so grateful that you came to talk with me today. And, you know, if someone wants to follow your work or connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Sure. You can always go to the the website with rcfconnects.org or I'm on LinkedIn. So people can feel free to reach out to me over LinkedIn. I'm not always as active (laughs) as I I could be, but I do respond to messages that way. So yeah.
0: Yeah. You're Um, out there working. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again. This has been a real pleasure and, you know, I, uh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Andrea. I, I
1: appreciate the opportunity
0: to, to talk
1: because like I said, I feel like this is a learning journey and we're all on, you know, being a lifelong student is really, that's really my, my net what's next. (laughs) Cool.
0: cool. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Living for Purpose podcast. If you're ready to make your move and create the wildly healthy and balanced life you deserve, please subscribe to the podcast and sign up for our email at livingforpurpose.co. We'll see you next week.